On today's More Than a Test, we have Kimberly Vaught joining us. This is one of those conversations I am really excited to share with other people. Kimberly Vaught has defined her career by asking, what is needed of me? She has turned around multiple schools, taking F schools to B ratings in North Carolina. She's now leading the leadership effort in Charlotte schools, and she will inspire you to no end. Thanks for being here, and thanks for listening to our story with Kimberly Vaught. It is such an honor for me. You just shared with me that today is your last day in Allenbrook Elementary. Your husband is packing up your boxes because you're headed to a new role. Tell us about the new role. Yeah, so I've been here at Allenbrook for three years. I've been in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools for 20, almost 23 years. Uh, I, on Monday, I'm officially becoming the Executive Director for Leadership Development uh, here in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, which means that I'll have the opportunity to work with, develop, onboard, support, help to source uh, leadership. So principals, assistant principals, teachers who are in the classroom who might uh, have a dream or an aspiration to become a, a school leader of some sort, and really you know, working alongside our superintendent to make sure that we, you know, build capacity, that we have strong succession planning, uh, and that the leaders within our district are uh, developed in a way uh, that sustains the great work that's already happening. I am sure there is not anyone better for this role. I mean, you are a three-time principal of the year. We were just talking about the turnaround at Allen Brook, but I'm also sure this is a little bit bittersweet. Will this be your first time outside of a school? This will be my first time out of, outside of a school uh, since I first launched uh, back in 1999 in a little town, um, Bolivia, North Carolina, Southport, North Carolina. Some folks may know it uh, near Oak Island when I first started as a first year teacher and then moved to Charlotte in 2000, got married and moved to Charlotte. This will be my first time. It, it's definitely bittersweet uh, as I think about uh, just the day-to-day work uh, that I've had with children and with mamas and daddies and aunties and neighbors and friends of all the communities that I've been most fortunate to love and to serve. Um, but as I think about my next and I think about the opportunity, um, I'm just really, really humbled um, about the way forward um, and to really be able to spread, some are calling it the gospel of Kim around, uh, you know, this warrior spirit, this, this, this you know, opportunity to, to build this legion of like revolutionaries who are passionate, who are courageous and who have audacity about not just turning around schools, but making sure that, you know, we are building platforms and providing our students and our communities with, with the voice. So it, it's definitely bittersweet. I have definitely shared my shed, my share of tears over the past few months as I think about leaving my babies. I can name them one and all. Uh, but the good news is that this isn't goodbye. This is on to the next, and I'm taking a, you know, an army of folks with me uh, in my heart. And I'm um, sure all of those teachers, all of those yeah. students, all of those mamas are super proud and excited for you, right? I'm sure they're cheering for you just like you cheered for them over the last yes. few years. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned turning around schools, and I think Allen Brook is a really good example. I know that there are many for you, but let's talk about the school that you're sitting in right now. In 2020, you were asked to lead this school in the middle of a pandemic. Tell me about that conversation. The superintendent came to you and said what? Yeah, so it was the height of COVID. I was at a school. I was a founding principal of a Charmex school, Lawrence or Elementary School, a thousand kids school. Um, I just had some pretty serious what I call like tragedies in my personal life. My sister had just been diagnosed with a very, very serious illness. I was caregiving for my, my mom and everyone in our community knew that. 
And then COVID hit, right? And changed the way that we do business, you know, in education, in our healthcare field, finance. It doesn't matter. Change the way that we live our lives every single day. And I got this call in April of 2020. We just turned Lawrence Orr around. The state had just come out with a big announcement of how, you know, Lawrence Orr had gone from this F to a B. You know, it was a school that received Title I funds. So that was huge. Um, you know, almost 100% minority. It was huge. Um, and so I thought, you know, on to the next, I'm going to, you know, have this great impact. And he called and he said, listen, I know that, you know, you have this and such going on. I know the work that you've done across several communities as a turnaround assistant principal, uh, as a now two-time turnaround principal in some of the most difficult situations. Um, and I know that you may honestly be looking for a different opportunity because I know how you've committed and I know how you and your family have just like stood in the gap. And I know the toll that that takes on you both personally and professionally. Um, but there's this little school, Allenbrook, over in the Western Corridor of Charlotte. And there's these boys and girls and families. And they have been underserved for far too long. And Kim, this isn't a, a local initiative. This isn't you know, the superintendent's initiative, the state is pressing, and I have to take the best and the brightest principal um, in place there, and I need you. Okay, so pause. So the way you just described this is, first of all, at a moment when someone else might be like, cool, we can, we finally got there, let's take a break. Your family, like your personal needs are clearly saying, take a break. Your superintendent comes to you and says, like, we got to ramp up one more time. I've got to know. So Julia um, recently was talking to me about how, like, you know, thinking about who's at your boardroom table as a person, right? Like, who are the people who are around you all the time? Who is the first person you talk to? Like, did you say yes right away? Or do you were like, I got to I got to talk to somebody? In all reality, honestly, I said no. So we met, we met and I thought, you know, my husband, and I drove to the school. And I thought, you know, I'm a, a woman of faith. And so I thought I prayed and I, I thought I'd really heard from God. And I thought I heard him say, Kim, no, <laughs> in almost an audible voice. And I thought to myself, no, this, this might not be the opportunity. You know, whenever I take on an assignment, like literally spirit, soul, and body, my family commits to this. And I just did not know. Uh, I wasn't so sure at the time that um, I was the one. And I believe in what Barack Obama talks about when he talks about being one of the ones. And in other assignments, I was very clear that I was certainly one of the ones. But, you know, at that time, as I said, you know, there were just, you know, my sister was sick. My mom was not in the best of health. I had a daughter who was going to be a senior in high school. It was COVID. Um, and, you know, at first I said, you know, with all due respect, Mr. Superintendent, while I am honored that you consider me in such a, a bright way, um, I don't think this is the opportunity. And for the next seven days, I had this like burning in my gut. Wow. A burning in my gut and just kind of tossing and turning. And I said, Lord, let the opportunity come back. And Monday morning at seven o'clock, the superintendent called and said, listen, I'm on a jog. He was out of breath. He said, I know what you told me. He said, but you are the one and I need you. And more importantly, the kiddos at Allenbrook need you. Oh, and so we, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I just got goosebumps. I got goosebumps yeah. listening to this story. Yeah. Now, let me ask you the truth. If he hadn't called you, would you mm -hmm. have called him and said, 
I think I need this back. Would you have been, would you have been willing to do that? So, um, in retrospect as, you know, back then, honestly, probably not, but knowing what I know now, they say hindsight is 2020. Right. Um, I've had many experiences. I've, I've had a great childhood. I, I call it my prince's days. I had great parents. I had, you know, I was, I've had, I have great family life. This has been a turning moment. This has been a pivotal moment for this has been my Kairos moment where time and destiny have certainly met and the good Lord has shown up for me. And while, you know, the thought was that I was coming to be a blessing to the community, the community has certainly been a blessing to me. Wow. This is just so powerful. I love, I love the way you talk about it. Um, I want you to kind of describe something though, because a lot of the people who listen to our podcasts are educators and leaders. Yes. And a lot of people are not, they're ed tech enthusiasts, they're tech enthusiasts or, or tech, you know, founders and things like that. So we, you know, when you've worked in schools, you say turn around and, and we have an image, we have an idea for people who don't know, what does it really look like when you, when we're getting, when you walk into the doors of a turnaround school, when we talk about these like F and B ratings, like what is that, what, what's going on in those schools often and in, in your experience? Oh yeah. So, you know, I'd worked in several F schools. Um, our, our state really started labeling school by letter grades back in like 2013. Um, and so even prior to 2013, I'd done what we call turnaround work in schools that would have been pending F's or F's. But walking into Allenbrook, um, I always describe it when I have a chance to capture the, eye, the ears and hearts of, of those who will listen as um, the spirit of death was almost tangible. Really? Yes. So in 2018, prior to me coming, there was a body, a murder of a teenager uh, who had been found um, on the um, playground who'd been murdered. Um, the school was not just an F, but the, they weren't growing. They were getting worse every year. Suspensions were out the wazoo. Uh, kids were fighting, running out of the building, fighting each other, fighting teachers. Uh, there are even narratives of, of kids fighting parents. Wow. Uh, we're in, you know, where our, our building is located is one of the most, um, as far as crime rates and murders and just violent crimes and things like that, unbelievable. Um, you know, things that those of us who ascribe to a middle class and upper middle class lifestyle, um, things that we can't even imagine. Wow. And this is the school that, and like a minute ago, you described as like the blessing in your life. So you Absolutely. walk in yes. and it's this, it's this place. Yes. And, and you're taking this over. And the state is putting pressure on your district to do something about this school, right? Like it's oh, so yes. low that the this state... This was a state initiative. Yes, this was a state initiative. So we've had, you know, in our district, you know, back in 20, 2007, 2008, uh, 2008, 2009, we had a superintendent, Dr. Peter Gorman, who was really an innovator, mover and a shaker. And I was a part of his, what he called strategic staffing initiative. That was a local initiative in which he took the highest performing principals, assistant principals and teams and put them into the lowest performing schools. This situation was a little bit different in that certainly Allenbrook would have qualified for that initiative, but this was a state-driven initiative based on, you know, um, Allenbrook having not met um, really any of the expected growth metrics. So student achievement from, you know, students being proficient with goals, but then also, you know, the metric around growing students, right, which you know, really compares apple to apples, like apples to apples. So, you know, even if you are an F school, are you growing those students from a, 
you know? Right. So even if like, yeah, your kids, if they're starting way behind, at least we're showing there's growth, even if they're yes. not at grade level. I get it. Yes. Um, okay. So you show up, it's 2020. Is your school even open at this point? Oh no, the school was not open. It was COVID. Okay. Um, and you know, we just started masking up. It was still early when I was named. So I found out about the opportunity on like April 20th by May 1st, my name was submitted by like May 12th. I was at a virtual board meeting being named. And a week or so later, I found myself in the building masked up with the outgoing principal. I walk up, we drop my husband, we drive up to the building and I said, there's no way I'd been to Allenbrook before. You know, Allenbrook certainly was a school that sort of had a scarlet letter. You know, you're going to go to that school. Like, you're doing what? You just, aren't you tired? Like, aren't you worried? You're doing <laughs> aren't you what? tired? Oh my yeah, gosh, right? right. Um, and so we drive up and literally, like, not only is the the um, the building itself, uh, the brick and mortar was indicative of what was happening inside. I walk into the building. I'm walking with the outgoing principal. We go into a classroom and I, I looked around and I looked at the work samples um, of this ghost town of a building. And I looked at the work samples, the journal entries, the, you know, the, the work that was posted in the classroom. And I said to the principal, the former principal, I said, oh, I see this is a kindergarten classroom. And she looked at me and like shocked and dismayed. She goes, no, this is third grade. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So yes. the academics are low. The culture is low. I have you. So, okay. So your school's not open. You go, what on earth do you do first? Like when yeah. you start that, like, how do you even know where to start in, in a situation like that? Yes. So for me, it was really about embracing and owning everything. So owning, you know, not blaming what had happened in the past, not saying, well, they didn't do this, not pointing fingers, but really ascribing to what John Maxwell says around everything rises and falls on leadership. Is there a leader present? And so, you know, now my name is on this, right? Wow. This is, I own this now. So whatever happened seven years ago, it's mine. I take the good, I take the bad. Um, I, you know, I believe in giving the, when, th when things happen, you know, in a really big way, we give credit to the team. When things aren't going so well, that's my fault. As wow. That is real leadership. I don't, it, you make it sound easy. You say it like it's easy. It is not easy to walk into a building where nothing has been going right for a decade and say, now this is my problem. And it's I just want to commend you and say, and say that that is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're, this is your problem. And then you have a staff meeting. Like what, what, who did well, you yeah, talk so, to? So of course, you know, I immediately, you know, we mask up, we start going through the neighborhood. I need to know who are these families? Wow. Because I knew that, you know, they were moms just like me. There were grandmothers and they love their grandchildren just like my mom adores my girls and wants the very best for them. Right. There were daddies and uncles and neighbors and friends whose voices, for whatever reason, had been silenced. Um, and we know for based on, you know, systemic barriers and structures uh, that have been in place for years, we know because of what we call the plight of poverty. And honestly, we know just because of, uh, you know, a lack of access and opportunity. And so I immediately started to, you know, link arms and link hands with the community, uh, trying to figure out, okay, so what do they know? What do they believe? And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, when I'd ask about Alan Brook, you know, I found out like a survey had been rendered and over 90% of the parents said, yes, I would send my kids to Alan Brook and I would recommend, you know, that my friends go to, you know, send their kids to Alan Brook. They had no clue that Alan Brook was an F school. They and I think this... I think this is super common, right? I think there's really great research that says 80% of parents would tell you American education is in dismay. Like we're, we're just a hot mess, uh, but I love my school. 
And yes. I love my teacher. So yes. it's it's not shocking that that was your survey yes. results. Yes. Uh, and it's so incredible. So tell me, okay, so you're in this situation. Mm-hmm. The school isn't looking good. The no. work on the walls isn't looking yes. good. I'm sure the teachers, it, you got some questions. Yes. And the parents have no clue that this is, that, that what where yes. they're sending their ch- child every day is not that great. No. Where did you see the first glimmer of hope? Like, where mm-hmm. was the moment where you were like, no, we got this? Oh, yeah. So when I looked into the eyes of the kids... Really? Period. Oh, man. Do you have, like, one child that, like, this moment was like, this is the kid. This is the day. This it was just, like, as soon as they showed up, you were like, oh, no, we can do this. Oh, absolutely. So there are several. As I think about, like, Tony, and I t- think about Lamarion, and I think about Molly Asia. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, yeah. When I think about, you know, the babies who were here and, you know, in the community, and I think about their hopes and their dreams, and I see like the hope, my own hopes and dreams, and I see my kids in them, if my kids can do it, if I believe that my own kids are worthy. All right? these kids can. Yeah, that's right. The kids were ready and willing. It's just that now the adults have shown up to chart the course for it. They were always here. They were waiting for us to show up. Okay. So tell me a moment that Alan Brooke changed you. Yeah. Uh, so I just mentioned the name, Lamarion. <laughs> Um, Lamarion is certainly what I'll call my high flyer. Um, when I first came in, you know, he'd be on the Zoom saying, I'm not going to log on. His mom will come and Ms. Vaughn, I can't get him to log on. And probably, you know, once we kind of return to the building in a hybrid model, he looks at me, he goes, and I have to do my work. <laughs> and, and I hate you because everything has changed since you got here. Like, I hate you, Ms. Vaughn. But, and... Spring of 2022, we loaded up all of our fourth graders and fifth graders. And I said to them, if you can see it, you can be it. We loaded them all up and we had some flexibilities in how we we spent our funds. And I loaded up all our fourth and fifth graders and all of our teachers over spring break. And we chartered a course to Disney World. Wow. And when Lamarion's mom and dad showed up, and Papa showed up with Lamarion on our campus, and they were so proud that their boy was going to make it to Disney. Things that they wanted for the, him, but they didn't see a way out. When Lamarion showed up at Disney, and then a year later, less than a year later in December, when I looked over and someone was capturing a picture of Lamarion on his knees in New York City with our school family, praying at St. Patrick's Cathedral for the Lord to heal his Papa. I knew then that while certainly Lamarion's trajectory had changed academically, his lifelong outcomes had changed. When we took Jay Elliott, Camilla's boy, and put his feet, plant his feet on the grounds of the White House last December, and all of the barriers and all of the worries and all of the hurts and all the wondering fell null and void, by his wayside, and he said, no, these might be my current circumstances, but my future circumstances certainly are looking great. I knew then. When we got our data back uh, this past August, August of 2022, and Brooke had gone from the bottom of the state's list to number two in the entire state for academic growth for all elementary schools out of 2,600 schools, I knew then. When when students started competing about that, when it's not your mama jokes anymore, but it's jokes about, all right, 
keep showing out in science class and you're not going to be able to enroll in the honors classes. You're going to have to sit with the regular kids and we're not regular. <laughs> right? Regular. R-E-G-U-L-N. Without the R? Yeah. I knew then. That's... When the boys and girls are competing over which college they're going to go to and they're walking across fifth grade and said, all right, Ms. Vaught, I'm going to college now. There are so many moments, Laura, where some of the data says one thing, but the spirits of our kids say another. I can totally feel that. But I want to ask you something because there's a couple of things that are just like going around in my head. The first is so often I feel like we hear schools and districts say, we don't have time for this other stuff, right? It's, it's got to be all academics. It's got to be all this. These kids, you know, like, you know, so what would you say? Because clearly you have a balance. You, you got the academics to go up while also making these amazing opportunities happen for kids. Yes. So, so tell me about that. Yes. So our kids will tell you that when we're in the building, when the bell rings at 745 until 245, we are about the business of teaching and learning, right? There's very little time for what we call the fat. We trim the fat. We make sure that our kids can read, write, problem solve, that they're critical thinkers, that they're articulate, and we build those pathways. But we also know that that's just one piece of the puzzle. We know that once they do all those things, they have to be, uh, you know, able to code shift. They have to know, okay, so how do I apply this in the real world. They have to know what's out there so they can continue to dream. So why is it so important that I'm college and career ready on this end of grade test? Because your lifestyle depends on it. Your lifelong outcomes depend on it. Why is this so important? You know, I might need a college degree if I want to be able to provide this for my kid, right? When you've only seen um, your little piece of pie, your little piece of the world, and you don't know what else is out there. So for us, it's not about you know, this fake mantra of we provide music and, and, re, uh, and uh, you know, we do all of those things. But, you know, we want it for our kids to be able to see it on Broadway. We tell them, that, we don't just tell them that you're going to do these things. We make believers out of them. The way that you make winners and believers out of folks is to build belief through helping them win. Well, and I think it's not just that, but also you're giving them the why. I think so yeah. often adults think kids don't understand the why. No, They're like, yes. oh no, why would we tell them? Like, just make them yes. do it. Just tell them to do it. No. My kids are three and already, if I can tell yes. them why they have to follow my directions, they're a thousand times more likely to follow yes. them. And I think yes. that your belief in them is is part of this, right? Yes. I believe you can understand the why, so I'm going to show you. Yes. That's really that's yes. really cool. All yes. right. We've talked a lot about Allenbrook and the kids of Allenbrook, and I want to talk a little bit about Kimberly. Yes. And I want to talk about, you know, you said you, you first started teach as a teacher. What was the first what was the first thing you taught? Yeah, so I was a fourth grade teacher uh, in Brunswick County. Uh, and a, like a, as a first year teacher, um, you know, Brunswick County is a coastal town, right? At the, you know, the beaches and all of the things. And so um, back then, that was a, honestly, very candidly, it was a huge deal uh, as an African-American young woman to be named a teacher uh, in wow. Brunswick County. And I was born and raised there, had gone to college just, you know, 40 miles up the road, um, had had a great run in, in college, t- student taught in my elementary school, and actually had two offers at the table at my elementary school and a brand new elementary school up the road. Uh, and so that at that moment, you know, is really when I started to like break through barriers. Um, when I looked around at who was hired that year, um, I believe there were two African-Americans, uh, me and the wife of an associate superintendent who was coming into the county. 
And yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so, so you walk in fourth grade teacher and how long did you teach at that spot? I was there for one year. Um, okay. I was in, at the time I was engaged. My husband was my fiance at the time was already in Charlotte. So people say, you left the beach to come to Charlotte? <laughs> <laughs> like, you lost your mind. And I always say, I left following a boy, but they're great outcomes. He's my husband, my only boyfriend ever. Laura, can you believe that? I don't know. He's moving your boxes right now. So to <laughs> me, if, I think you're just really good at picking it, right? Some people need to try a lot of things. You're one of those people that's like, I know what's right and I'm going to go for it. Yes. So your only boyfriend yes. takes you to Charlotte and that's you right. are teaching still. What did you teach yeah, in Charlotte? I taught fifth grade for two okay. years, um, but I got my master's in reading in okay. li- actually literacy and language education at USC Wilmington. And Charlotte had what I thought was like the epitome of my dream job, a literacy facilitator. And so I came here with my eyes set on that. And, you know, after two years, my principal thought, you're a great teacher, but you don't have the experience. That's a teacher leader. It's outside the classroom. It's quasi-administrative. Well, I said, "Mm, not so. I'm going after it. I had that same burn that I had about Allenbrook. I was then named a literacy facilitator at Walter G. Byers, uh, had a phenomenal run, and that same principal asked me to come back to Newell Elementary, year two, as a facilitator. No way. Yes. Talk Not- about like, you know, showing him. <laughs> That's okay. So I, okay. So I, I knew that you had some of this literacy background. I know you've been on some of the task forces. Yes. Are you reading all the information that's coming out about the NAEP scores and how low they are and yes. how far behind? What do you think when you see that? And, and, and also the science of reading changes, the kids can't read. I'm sure you're seeing all these articles in the New York Times. What are, what are, what do you yes. see when you read that? Yes. So, you know, honestly, it's fairly daunting. Right. And I, I definitely think that, you know, this isn't an issue of, I said to someone not long ago, that this issue that we're having around, you know, academic outcomes in general, but literacy outcomes in particular, isn't just uh, an issue that's going to be solved uh, in the, the arena of, you know, education, those of us who are in education, this really is um, a systemic issue uh, and, 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 and an inter and intra-systemic issue, right, uh, that we're going to have to solve for. So I will tell you that I think we've been having these conversations. I can remember the reading wars uh, as a first-year grad student at UNC Wilmington and thinking about, you know, uh, a whole language versus the phonics approach and all the things that we're talking about, and that pendulum has swung. Um, and having a background and understanding the science of reading from my graduate studies, and we didn't call it the science of reading back then, right? But really having this professor, Dr. Noel Jones, he's in heaven now, he went to heaven not long ago, really teach me and really undergird me around how language works and around like the various queuing systems and just all the things that we know as best practice um, really kind of gives me um, a glimmer of hope. Uh, the science of reading certainly is what we call, I think it's both a science and an art. Right. So we, we know how, we know how language works. Uh, there's no, no secrets. We understand the code. Uh, the art though is around making sure that not only do as educationalists, we understand pedagogical practices, but more importantly, that we understand what I call andragogy. So teaching adults how to teach adult right. learning theory. It's not, once again, it's not the kids who are broken. The kids are ready. I definitely think that just from a pre-service standpoint in our colleges and our university, 
universities as we think about building pathways there, as we think about building pathways for those who are in service, so teachers, like what are we doing to make sure that we're building their skills and their capacity uh, to be able to do this work, but then also systemically, right? So how is the community, how are, how are communities collectively supporting educational frameworks, supporting school districts, not just with finances, but with their voices, with their advocacy, and with their agency around what's happening in our schools, what's happening within the brick and mortar of our schools and really, you know, you know, having what I call a protest, maybe not, you know, a, a protest of signs, but a protest of our kids are better, they deserve more. And so instead of fighting about, you know, from the left and the right around, this is my belief and this is your belief, let's fight for what's right for our kids. Let's link arms and make it happen. It's interesting you say this. I just heard someone say, and it was a superintendent, I think, um, who said, we just have to make sure it's the reading wars, not the teacher wars, yes. right? Like, it's so important that we all get together on this. Mm-hmm. We know that we need to instruct right better, but it wasn't the teacher's fault that they That's were right. give, getting the wrong instruction. It wasn't That's their right. fault. And so what you're talking about with teachers' colleges and preparation and understanding that the systems have to kind of swarm this if they want to fix it, right? It cannot yes. be on a teacher to go figure it out and go learn science of reading on their own. There have That's to be resources right. and times put into these things. So I think you are 100% yes. hanging on the head. Um, I noticed something as you were talking about you, and I want to see if this resonates with you. So I think about this thing about the principal who told you you couldn't be a certain role. And so you went and did it somewhere else and then came back. And then I think about you and Alan Brooke. I have a feeling that you like to like be an underdog and prove people wrong. Is that true about you? Has that like been a, a kind of theme throughout your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if it's consciously or subconsciously. <laughs> um, but honestly, I think that, you know, so honestly, Laura, I don't have, you know, the sad story of being the little black girl that was without. I came from a two-parent home, um, educated home, um, you know, where I had a great life. And yeah. I, I didn't live the plight of poverty, but there were other obstacles because of my shell, unfortunately, African-American and female that sometimes put me in a place where I found myself as the underdog and I had to believe beyond belief. Wow. And so um, now hearkening back to some of those experiences as an almost close to 50 year old woman um, in just a few years, I can't believe that. Um Thinking about all the little girls who might not have that same level of fight and fortitude, who might not say, well, I don't know why they don't see it in me. I see it in me. (laughs) And how do you get them to believe? Yes. And so making sure that, you know, we believe in kids and that they know that we believe in them, even when they don't believe in them, and that our belief sustains them until they can believe in themselves. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to start using that with my own kids. I I really enjoy that. Let me ask you. So, so you went into this job thinking it was the job of all jobs, right? This literacy position. You were like, I get to be a leader. I get to do reading. This is it. Obviously that's not where you stayed. So how did that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think at every level for me, it is, you know, some folks call, call it ambition. I call it a calling at every level. There was another calling. There was another like deep called out to deep. So when I was a teacher, I thought, you know what? I can make a a larger impact if I'm a facilitator. As a facilitator, I thought, you know what? This is great, but I can make a a larger impact if I'm an assistant principal. As an assistant principal, I thought, specifically as a turnaround assistant principal, this is the work that needs to happen? Send me. I will go. 
Like David, wow. like I'm this little runt of a kid. Like, you know, but see, I know there's Goliath out there. I know what they say about East Charlotte. I know what they're saying about our kids. I know that they, like our data says this, send me, give me my five smooth stones and I will go. And some folks say, you have lost your mind. You want to do what? Aren't you worn out? But I think for some of us, there's this calling. And for me, it's not about being the best or the brightest. It's not about, oh, I'm just, it's about deep calling to deep and following that call um, faithfully and without wavering. Even when it looks like, even when it looks like you think, I thought I was called to this, but even when the data or even when the folks on the sidelines, and even when, maybe even the community, and even when it's your own voice that says, you've missed it, keep going. Wow. I, I can't even imagine. So let me ask you that. You said it. When you are too tired, when you aren't so sure, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I keep getting up. No matter what, you're just like, I have to get up. Do you have like a, I'll tell you mine. Mine is when I don't feel like it anymore, I get up and dress up, right? You'll see me in my heels only on the bad day (laughs) is my honest tell. Is that, you know, like, so what's your, when you get up in the morning and you're just like, I I can't do it today. What do you do next? So I tell this story everywhere I go. Back in 2009, um, I had what I call another Kairos moment that has defined me in those moments. I was in the hospice room with my daddy. I was a daddy's girl in a big, big way. Now I have two girls who are paying me back, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I was in the hospice room with my dad, and he was dying. He fought prostate cancer for 11 years, very bravely so. Like, he never whined. He never complained. He wanted to go to the doctors by himself. As a matter of fact, when the doctors gave him his final diagnosis and said, this is it, he did not immediately tell us. Instead, he funded this huge trip for the family to go to Disney World for us to have one last big brouhaha. And he already knew. Like, the doctors told him, James, um, you're, you're, yeah. I was in the hospice room with my daddy in early August, and you know, some of us have heard of what they call like this death stare. So I look over and I get up. It's about two o'clock in the morning. He's his, his eyes are locked. And I thought, this is it. I, I can't be the one in the room when my daddy passes. Like my mom's going to be back in a couple of hours. My, like I'm a daddy's girl. I'm his baby. Like he's always been my strength. Am right, I going to be able to do this? I get up and I said, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he didn't answer. I said, daddy. And I said, are you okay? And he was eyes still locked. And he kind of looked at, looked up at me and goes, yep, I, I'm just laying here here thinking about all my life. And I thought, oh, my God, this is it. Like, he's going to tell me I'm 64 years old. I'm leaving my young wife. I'm leaving my kids. I'm not going to be able to see Kayla, who at the time was five, my baby, the youngest. Grand. I'm not going to be able to see her get married or graduate. I'm not going to be able to see Deontay go off to college. Like, all this. I'm not going to be able to get your mom that Winnebago. I just retired. Like, all of our dreams. I'm 64 years old. I can't believe why is this happening to me. And he looks at me and goes, just laying here thinking about all my life. I thought, oh my God, this is it. I, he can't drop this bomb on me. And I said, Daddy, Daddy, what about all your life? And he looks at me. He goes, grab my hand, shaking. He goes, it's been good. It's been real good. Wow. In the moments when I think I'm not going to make it, when I want to whine and complain, I think about the mantle that my daddy passed to me. And I think about 
all of those who've gone before me, giants and heroes who fought slavery. My great-grandmother and grandfather, they were sharecroppers. They literally raised their babies in baskets. I have nothing to complain about. I get up, I show up, and every single time I take those folks in the room with me, I hear my daddy saying, it's been good, it's been real good, and somehow I found the power to show up one more day, one more moment for the call that calls. My goodness. That was, I can't. I, I feel like I'm I'm gonna cry. I've never cried on my own podcast and this is just it was just so amazing and so beautiful and I, I'm sure he is so incredibly proud of you. Um and I and I'm sure everyone who is from your community would whether they've heard the story or not is not surprised to hear it. I bet you they would agree that you show up every single day. So as you get ready to hand off this community, this beloved community that has changed you, what will you say to the principal taking the keys on Monday? I just talked to her less than an hour ago. She said, what's your advice for me? Love my babies. Be true to them. Be true to the community. Do unto them as you would have them do unto the kids that you birthed into the earth realm. Wow. Love them. Put them on your backs just like the giants and heroes have put you on their back. Get them there. Do not give up on them. There will be days when you feel like, I'm not going to make it. Fight the urge to give up. Keep going. Be true to them. Be true to yourself. Most importantly, be true to the mission. And you're going to be okay. Wow. I think she is going to be okay. I think you're handing off something magical. She'll probably continue all the incredible trips and the incredible work that you've done. The role that you're taking on next will be a lot of people like her right? Either they're stepping into leadership positions or they want to step into leadership positions. I was recently in the office of a principal who told to, looked at me and said, Laura, if I told you how tired I am and how like, like broken I am right now, it would, it would blow your mind. You know, like someone I've known for a long time. When you show up with these principals for the first time and they're, you know, like you're going to have some of the bright eyed bushy tail, but you're going to have some exhausted people. How, how do you lead when you know the system and you know how hard it can be, how do you lead those people? Yeah. You know, I think that most people who, you know, finally make it to the principalship know the technical work. They know the day-to-day, like they're instructional leaders for the most part. You know, they understand what we call the books, the buses, the butts. The fi- they know that. What's lacking is this notion of inspiration. Right. Inspiration and empowerment for the way forward. So helping them to center themselves as men and women first. Um, I always tell folks that people work for people, and you can't do this work by yourself. People say that leadership is lonely at the top. If you're a leader and you're lonely at the top, you're not doing it right. Because when you, if you're the right leader and you're really you know, doing what we call leadership, when you get to the top, you look all around you, you have an army of people that you've brought along. And so, yeah, I say it's just like Julia says with the boardroom of people, like it may not, you got to have people, this idea that we're doing things on our own. I think you're a hundred percent right. I will say that I had to learn that lesson the hard way as a young leader is I really wanted to like carry all the problems in my own little backpack and drag them around with me. And then once I started opening up and getting help, I I grew so much more. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's, 
that'll be my mantra. This is how we've done the work. I have not done this work in a silo, like building people, helping people to see the gold in them and themselves and, and helping people to like lift their voices and to, to commit to a vision that is worthy, that is noble. Um, and that's based on outcomes. Like people want to win. It's the way we're built. (laughs) And I love that you talk about it unapologetically. Let's just talk about people want to win and let's go for it. I think, you know, one of my favorite books about education is someone has to fail, but I think maybe the Kimberly Vaught book will be everybody can win. (laughs) Yes. Everybody can win. You might not win today, but don't consider yourself a loser. Get up the next day with a different level of fight. Uh, When I speak across the country, I talk about finding the 13th way. The first way didn't work. The sixth way that didn't work. Are you on your 13th way yet? Then don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. That's incredible. I love that. We are so low on time. I feel like I could talk to you all day long. This has been absolutely amazing. I'm going to make my husband listen to this podcast and everyone I know because there are just so many little moments that you have just inspired me. And like I know tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up with a little more fight because of you. We have five questions we ask every person that I've got to ask you uh, before we let you go. Um, so the first thing is our podcast is called More Than a Test. The reason we call it that is because at Amira, we think we're the next generation of assessment that happens every day instead of three times a year. We can tell you where a kid is every day as a reader instead of three times a year. But every week we've learned is that every guest hears more than a test and thinks of something different. When you heard more than a test, what did you think of? Uh, when I hear more than a test, um, once again... I hear this this notion um, because, you know, most of our districts, most of our states, um, that's what, like, our outcomes are based on. The test is the floor. More than a test, Ooh. that's the floor. The te- that's an expectation that when kids leave us, that they are proficient, that they are growing, that they're on their way. But more than that, are we building citizens? Are we building men and women, boys and girls, who can carry and sustain this country in a way that we are proud of moving forward. So more than a test, certainly, you know, in schools we talk about the test, and we certainly talk about that here at Allenbrook. That's been a part of the way forward. But when they pass the test, because they will, do they they see themselves as more than enough, more than worthy, uh, and more than ready to go out into the world? That's awesome. I love it as the floor. All right. Um, We talked a lot about other kids, but I want to talk about you again. A literary moment. So a moment of you and a book that changed your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love to read. (laughs) Just I absolutely love to read. I will tell you, though, a literary moment that has changed my life. I'm working on my dissertation right now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And so I am doing quite a bit of technical reading around coding for like qualitative analysis and immediately. So in college, like it came easy for me. We started, people talk about like reading chemistry books. Okay, great. But when I started some of the technical reading that it's going to take for me to get through my dissertation, it changed my life and it helped me to step back and to be some of the students in my school who it's just about experience. It's not even about the code at that moment. The code wasn't just the barrier, uh, just the thing. But most recently, like I'm reading about like axial coding, right, and and how to do, right, and just how to do all of that and make it work. And it has changed my life. 
Ah, that's awesome. Think, yeah, like I think, you know, reading the book, uh, you know, looking at the color purple, but then reading it and like doing all the, like those, that gives me the warm fuzzies. But this has changed your life. But this, oh, this has changed, <laughs> this has changed my life. That's awesome. I love it. I was not expecting this and I love how recent it is. All right. Tell me a piece of technology that you love. Um, well, honestly, I think I love my phone. <laughs> that's, I mean, just, you know, in, in candor, you know, so I'm a mom of, of a 19 year old and a 13 year old, and we have more technology than you can. We have iPads, we have laptops, we have the MacBook, we have Chromebooks, like all the, all the things. My husband is an engineer, so he's really, really techie. But I think that honestly, if I had to say it's my iPhone, um, because number one, I can be anywhere in the world in just a few moments and it connects me, um, to those I love most. Um, each and every day. So um, honestly, we have like Life 360. And so I can follow my Tar Heel girl uh, and make sure that she's safe. Um, And, you know, I can FaceTime um, with my dear auntie at the coast and my dear uncle at the coast and make sure that they are okay. And, you know, I when I was in Disney World with my own kid this week, you know, Tony Carthen was able to reach me. Um, yeah. And so I have it with me all the time. Um, certainly we have at our home and our school, we have swivel cameras and we have all the things. But honestly, in truthfulness, probably my iPhone. That's awesome. That's great. All right. If a teacher is listening and they're thinking that, that that's who I want to be, I'm sure there are. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I want to be. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give them? Um, keep your heart right. Pass the humility test. That's great. Accolades are going to come. If you do the work right, kids will get outcomes. Parents will love you. Uh, The community will sing your praises. Always, always walk in a spirit of humility. And, you know, start checking yourself when you're saying things like, you know, I'm here to serve the community. We're not serving the community. We must become the community. And, you know. Leave it at that. That was beautiful. Become the community. I love it. And also walk, uh, you know. Walk the, pass the humility test. I'm going to write that somewhere on my desk. I really love that. All right. Last thing. One book. You're sitting in your library for the last time. One book everyone should read. Oh, gosh. Big. I don't know big. Big. So recently I was at UVA and I was working with uh, some districts and um, some school leaders and the one of the facilitators gave me the book big and it brought me to tears it's a children's book like it's, it's a, like a middle grade book right i feel yeah, like i've seen it yeah, now you say yeah, that okay it's, it's like a picture book um it's not a novel it's it's literally a picture book i'm um, going to look it up oh my gosh it, i don't have yeah. it okay big yeah, big is the one that I, it inspired me to be big bold and brave Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much. No one has mentioned a, a children's book yet. So this is really lovely. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for spending your last day at Allenbrook with me. You have no idea how much this podcast means to me and everyone on our team. Um, good luck. Not that you need it. Good luck in your new role. You're going to be great. And we can't wait to hear from you again. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This was great. It's, it's thank been you. such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for joining us on the More Than a Test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining.